This episode is brought to you by FX's The Bear. The hit series returns with Jeremy Allen White in the Golden Globe-winning role of Carmi. He and the team will transform their family sandwich shop into a next-level spot, all while being forced to come together in new ways as they confront their past and reckon with who they want to be in the future. FX is The Bear. All episodes now streaming only on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Certified Piedmontese Beef. Listen up, foodies. Make your next meal even better with real Nebraska beef. They have healthy, tender, delicious Italian heritage beef, grass-fed and sustainably raised on lush pastures in the Midwest. You can even create your own personally curated meat box that's shipped right to your door. To get two free steaks with any purchase over $50, use the code FREEBEEF at checkout. Learn more and shop exclusively at cpbeef.com. Hello and welcome to One for the Road with me, Sober Dave. I'm going to be talking to some incredible guests over the next few weeks, all of whom have made the decision to look at their relationship with alcohol and take steps towards a positive change. My guests are all at different points in their journey, but all have powerful and uplifting stories to share. And that's why I hope you find each episode a valuable source of inspiration and insight. This season's podcast is sponsored by a great new startup called Tweak Life. They have built a well-being hub full of useful information of tweaks that you can make including mindfulness, nutrition, exercise, managing addictions, improving your finances and even the menopause. The last few years have been really tough for us all and with this in mind, Louise created this hub hoping to help individuals and businesses offer this to their employees and apply some of these tweaks to make a difference to people's lives. This is free to use, so for more information, please go to tweaklife.co.uk. My guest today on One for the Road stopped drinking back in January 2019 after she decided enough was enough and something had to change. She was a typical grey area drinker with an unhealthy relationship with alcohol she used to celebrate, commiserate, the usual any old excuse. She also used it as a way to self-medicate her ADHD. It gives me huge pleasure to introduce you today, the wonderful Sober Joe. So hello Joe, it's so lovely to see you. Thank you for joining me on my podcast, One for the Road. You're looking lovely today, how are you? I'm fantastic. Seriously, I feel mojo scale a good eight and a half, nine at the moment. Well, let's get that up to a 10 then by the end of this. Yeah, by the end of this. Well, you know, I'm like buzzing every time that I speak to you. I literally (laughs) leave and my husband's like, what have you been up to? (laughs) (laughs) Chatting to Sober Dave. He's like, oh, right, okay. No, not him again. (laughs) Oh, it's so lovely to have you on. I know, but that's the Sober connection. Yeah. Sorry, Dave. 
It's so lovely to have you on because we talk quite a lot, but we've had a bit of a spell that we haven't. So it's like meeting a friend for a coffee. We're going to chat about stuff, but I'm equally excited because I don't know about the early days. So Mm. I would love to delve into that if you don't mind talking about that, what it was like growing up and where you lived. Are you prepared to do that to me? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm an open book. I'm happy to share it all with you. tell me all about yourself okay so I live in Jersey in the Channel Islands and I grew up there it's a nine by five mile island and it's literally described as an island just filled with alcoholics clung to Mm. poor rock and my generation so I'm 37 37 yeah 37 really relied on alcohol like it was I think a lot of the younger kids now are more mindful about everything that they're doing, everything they're consuming. But my generation was drink as much as you can, basically, and party hard. And I really, really relied on alcohol because I didn't have very much self-confidence or self-esteem. I was somebody who felt more comfortable being the clown and entertaining everybody. And I was that kind of like awkward, skinny, like girl that didn't really like hadn't really developed kind of thing. And like my best friend at the time was like this curvaceous, gorgeous, um, you know, woman kind of thing. And I was like, bit like gawky, didn't really know how I fitted and so would kind of play the clown. Mm. And, um, and I think that's the thing growing up. I was always somebody who liked performing for people um, because I had a lot of energy. So I have ADHD. And as a child, I was someone who kind of used to walk through things, not around them, you know. Um, And my parents really, really, really struggled with that. Um, I didn't fit in a box. I used to have a lot of accidents, (laughs) So I would like fall up the stairs and, you know, be constant. I wouldn't, wasn't allowed in the kitchen in case I broke something, you know, or hurt myself kind of thing, you know? So I, I really relied on alcohol when I got to that age where you did drink to come out of my shell and to kind of be who I am without feeling like, but what if people don't like me? Because I have been told to be quiet and I've been told that I'm too much for a lot of my younger years at school. And, you know, so I think that I kind of felt like, well, I can't be that unless I've got an excuse for it Uh, and alcohol and being drunk was that excuse. And I think I just then relied on it more and more and then kind of leaving school and I remember, oh God, there was all sorts of parties and things that I did like that I shouldn't have done when I was at school. Bits of the fridge being buried in my parents' garden and all sorts, like very <laughs> drunken parties. I think a bottle nearly knocked my mum out that rolled out of the cupboard that I'd hidden kind of thing after a party. And my ADHD also means that I bounce about quite a lot. Uh, <laughs> as you right. uh, we've, we've so got just you. for those that are listening. <laughs> I do do a bit of bouncing, so try and keep up. Um, so after school, I then went to university. And again, 
I was like, oh God, I don't know anybody. That social anxiety really crept in. And yeah, I, I just used alcohol more and more and more in order to try and cope with how I was feeling. Yeah, And some of it looked fun to people and some of it was not so fun. I'm somebody who feels everything. I'm really, really sensitive. Like I'm a yeah. hypersensitive person. Yeah. And I'm an empath, so I pick up on other people's feelings. So I feel like I don't always, it's not just my feelings that I'm dealing with. It's like the people who are around me, even maybe even globally, you know, like. Yeah. And so at university, I really struggled because I was in a new place. I'd never left Jersey really before. This small place where I kind of knew a few people and people knew who I was and stuff a little bit. And then all of a sudden you're in this place and you don't know anybody. And all of a sudden I'm having to try and create an identity for myself there. And um, I used alcohol for the fun times, but also for the times when I was depressed. And I was somebody who, because of this feeling at all, would kind of go from the highs to the lows. And I really didn't have the coping mechanisms to know how to get out of those low places when I was in a low and I would use alcohol to numb those feelings and to to basically park it for as long as possible kind of thing and I I went on antidepressants actually and then I was using antidepressants and alcohol which as we know is a deadly combination when I left university I, I mean I've always been somebody who has known what they wanted to do and will get what they want. Do you know what I mean? Like I worked really hard to to almost, and I think this is something that I've had to grow out of to prove mm. to people because in the past it's like, well, you can't do this and you can't do that. You know, because of some of my um, neurodiversity <laughs> things, it's like, you know, well, I, I was never good academically at school because if I'm not interested in something, I can't pretend to be like, I'm not someone who can like, I'm like distracted and I want to do something else kind of thing, you know? So leaving university and then going into something that I really wanted to do, you know, I was so passionate about it. I went into marketing agencies and I loved it, but that culture is work hard and party harder. And where was this? On, uh, in Jersey? This is in London. In so London. I went, I went, I went to university in Leicester Yeah. and then I went straight to London Yeah. and I started working in agency world. Um, and I was, I loved what I was doing. So I was putting 110% into that. And I think that's the thing. That's that addict mm. part of me too, is that yeah. like, I'm a work addict. Yeah. So when I'm in all or nothing really, isn't it? It's, it's all like- or nothing with, everything yeah yeah do, do you know what though sorry for interrupting but that's right you are describing me to a t everything <laughs> you've said like i am a highly sensitive person yeah i can go from being really up to really mm. down in five minutes and not even mm. know why i'm a real empath that can be a, a, a struggle sometimes you know like mm. feeling everyone's feelings and putting everything into something. It's so fascinating hearing your story there that I was every single box I was tick, tick, tick. 
tick, yeah. tick. Um, and the whole ADHD subject is fascinating. And I haven't gone for diagnosis yet. And at the minute, I, I don't feel like I need to. I did a post the other week on it. And, and the response okay. was massive. So many people are, oh, my God, I can relate to that, relate. And, and I think there's a whole new conversation to be had about ADHD and addiction, you know. Um, it's so closely linked because it's self-medicating mm. at the end of the day. And when you're uncomfortable in your own skin and you are trying to fit in this box that society has created and you don't fit, that's really hard. And yeah. to like be able to break free and have the courage yeah. to do things differently and to be quirky and to know that yeah. it's okay to stumble over your words and know that it's okay for things not to be perfect or whatever. Do you know what I mean? It's Yeah. So when you worked in London and you, you took this role on this, you yeah. know, it's amazing now that we're sober, that we're, we hear all the time that industry was fueled by alcohol because nearly every single industry that we hear of is, you know, yeah. <laughs> we know that it's everywhere, but you were young, fresh mm-hmm. uh, and a party girl. Absolutely. A working hard party girl. Yeah. And it basically turned for the worst for me. And I never, ever speak to anybody about this. So this is a bit of a raw one for me to bring up. But since, you know, I just want to make sure that I'm telling you as it is. um, I fell in love with somebody and um, I ended up getting pregnant. And I had an abortion because the whole thing wasn't right at Mm. the time. And it completely broke me. Um, It's still something that I haven't fully healed from. I probably never will, in all honesty. Mm. It's a trauma. Uh, And for me, that was the start, I think, of my alcohol use or abuse turning really, really bad I mean I was drinking at home on my own and to the excess and it was a case of just trying to drown out how I was feeling Mm. Um, I was unable at the time to tell anybody about it really I had like about two friends who lived close to me that I'd spoken to who knew but apart from that I, I didn't tell anybody and I remember coming home to Jersey after it happening and because I had this identity as this party person who always turns up with a massive smile on her face and got the party started and was, come on, let's go, guys, you know. And I just remember coming home and I was just broken. Mm. And I just remember going to a Christmas party and just being like, I don't even know who, who I am or what I'm doing. I definitely am not that person. And very quickly, my kind of my job at the time kind of just didn't feel right and I I basically felt like I had to come back to Jersey almost as a self-rehab from London I needed to be around people who could see what I was doing and could make sure that I was safe and um, could stop me from hurting myself any more than I already was and so I uh, I actually met somebody and again I met this person who I will be forever grateful for the fact that they brought me back to Jersey, but like it was not the right relationship because I was on antidepressants and in a very, very dark place. And this particular person, like I said, I will forever be grateful to them, but like they fell for that person. They liked looking after that person. Yeah. yeah. And um, 
when I finally did come off the antidepressants and I finally did start to just be like a bit more me they uh, I remember going on on a night out and I was just being a bit mad and yes alcohol was involved at this point still but I was just being like you know, loud and and I was a lot more connected to who I am. And he actually said to this group of people, I'm really sorry about my girlfriend. She can be a bit like mad, kind of crazy. Uh, And they were a bit like, well, we actually really like her, but we're not so keen on you. And I was working for a brewery at this point. (laughs) So I'd come back... (laughs) from London and then I started working at the local brewery that's good rehab for you isn't it (laughs) I mean at least I was around people who like could keep an eye but I mean yeah you're right it wasn't really a rehab (laughs) this is the thing when you're in that like mode you were attracted to other stuff like that aren't you so like I was passionate about booze like they used to joke that if you cut me in half like a sticker rock you'd see like a liberation L logo and like I was one of the boys because the brewery was just filled with boys yeah. I was the only woman who wasn't kind of an admin who was working pretty much at the brewery there was one other lady actually who was a manager for the pubs but it was very male dominated and I could drink like I can match them drink for drink and I was really proud of that fact and they used to think it was really funny that I could go on nights out and literally be drinking the same as them. But they could then the next morning wake up and they would be absolutely fine because they were functioning alcoholics. But I would the next morning be violently ill. Like I was working across Jersey and Guernsey. So they're two of the Channel Islands. And sometimes I would actually miss my flight home back to Jersey because I was so just in so much pain, basically, mm. like really ill from the alcohol poisoning that I'd given myself. And I wouldn't know what I'd done that evening. Like I was like, oh God, like that's embarrassing. So there was a lot of that. And then, um, so at this point, boyfriend had said that comment, this new group of friends had kind of gone, well, we really love you and uh, we're going to take you under our wing kind of thing. And I remember just going back to my boyfriend's house at the time, packing my car with everything that I owned and just saying, this is not right. And I drove to my mum and dad's house and I hadn't stayed at my mum and dad's house since school kind of thing. Yeah. I drove to my mum and dad's house and I said, I'm booking a flight to leave tomorrow. So don't worry, I'm not moving in or anything. Um, I think they would have been like, God. <laughs> to not back again bloody hell um (laughs) so I I I had all my stuff in the car I booked a flight to go to the Great British Beer Festival and I worked on the bar for a week at the Great British Beer Festival and by the time I'd finished I had a new house to move into and I got back in my car and just drove to this new house wow and um yeah it's been it's been crazy uh but like you know the time at the brewery there were some really 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 good times I was so passionate about beer and I still am the alcohol free variety yeah. I even brewed my own beers you know mm. like I um I actually created a whole thing around females and about how women were the original brewsters 
and how men took away beer from women when they realized they could make money from it. And I created all these beautiful glasses for people to drink their beers out of so that women could enjoy their beers. I mean, seriously, like I loved it so much. Yeah. And then when I left the brewery, I still was in the hospitality industry. So it was still that kind of taking people out all the time, going to festivals and things like that. Like I went to Glastonbury a couple of times on different beer brands, you know, and had some great times, but also some really, really dark times. Like I was a grey area drinker, so I wasn't somebody who would get up in the morning and then have a drink or think about having a drink as such. But like I was somebody who relied on it, whether I was celebrating, commiserating, like I said, like in those dark times, I was mm. definitely fueling that through the drinks that I was having. And so... If we fast forward a little bit um, to a few years ago, I was the MD of a marketing agency. And the first thing I did was go, right, okay, I remember when I was at my marketing agency in London was happy hour. I need to make sure that I've got happy hour because that's a really, really important thing in the office on a Friday so that people can really connect with each other and get to know each other. Yeah. And what, what time was your happy hour? Four o'clock on a Friday. Yeah, about right, isn't it? So I would get all the drinks in for everybody. And I just remember, so when I got to the point where the blackouts that I was having were happening more and more and more often, and who I was as a wife, as a mentor, as a daughter, sister, all of the things that are really important to me and who I was when I was drunk were not aligning. So I remember like just getting home and my husband just looking at me with disgust so many times and oh, I feel a bit emotional there. So um, I would be like throwing myself on him. And again, this is this kind of like need to be loved and need Mm. to, you know, feel somebody want you and him literally be like, the state of you like this is not sexy because he is wired in a completely different way than me he can leave wine in the glass he can have a glass of wine as a compliment to a meal and not then crack on like I was bringing wine home every night and he would then have like a tiny weeny bit to like make me feel better about what I was doing yeah um but like I would go on a full session night out and then come home and crack open a bottle of wine yeah and he'd be like, why are you doing that? Like, why do you need? need more? Yeah, you've had the night. Like, yeah. we're going to go bed. Like, why Why are you carrying on kind of thing? So he never understood. Yeah. And he found it quite frustrating that I couldn't get a grip of it. And, like, I would go on nights out and he would be messaging me to check if I was okay. And I would ignore him because he was trying to finish my night that I was having. He was trying to take away the fun I was having. But he wasn't trying to do that. He was making sure I was okay. He was yeah. somebody who cared about me whilst I was with a load of randoms trying to get that, I don't know, that I was, and, and that I, I was that validation, I guess, from other yeah. people. So, and I bet as well with that validation that you were a real enabler. Oh, my God. I was a booze bully. Yeah. Of the like highest kind. If you'd come to the pub and you told me that you weren't drinking, I would have laughed in your face and I would have asked yeah. you why you were even there. Because yeah. I that was my that's what the brewery guys were like. I, that is like where I'd come from. 
And I really, really was the person who was the party starter. And as the MD of that company, I remember going to a client party. Okay, so this is back in 2018. And it was Christmas time. And that particular client was doing a wine tasting. And I took one of my colleagues with me. But instead of just going straight to that, we went via the pub for wine because I needed that in order to be able to go to that wine tasting because otherwise that anxiety would be too much. And it's, it's crazy when I think about it. And this is the thing that I like I coach and the people on now is around the fact that like, if I really think about who I was like during the day and like the fact that I'm a natural, like, you know, connector and yeah. person that people come to and like want to chat to and you know and it's so sad that I didn't see that in myself because I then felt like going into those situations I felt like an imposter I felt like I didn't fit in I felt like I didn't know myself well enough to be able to be in the presence of people and so anyway went for drinks went to the party it was like a sophisticated event well I've actually been to this party since and I'm mortified that I had the night that I had. I mean, the bits I remember of it. So, like, I, I know that I was having a laugh and that it was quite good fun at the beginning. I do not remember leaving this party. Um, I woke up the next morning feeling like I was going to die. Like, I literally felt rotten at the mm. core. It was a Friday because the party was on a Thursday night. Steve, my hubby, was not in the bed next to me which was like, oh, I've been a liability. Yeah, I've done so. So I crawled down the like corridor. And also he'd been away for a little bit before then as well. So like he mm. knew that I was going to this Christmas party. But I'd even said to him, it's a client thing. So I won't be late. I'll only have a couple. Because yeah. like in my mind, I was capable of doing that. I could moderate because I wasn't honest with myself about my own relationship with alcohol and but you know so I literally looked at him in the spare room and he shot daggers at me and he was just like don't even like talk to me kind of thing and I just thought oh god and that was the first bit of that feeling in your stomach in the pit of your stomach where you feel physically sick and you're like what have I done what have I done oh my god I now have to go to work oh god and be the MD yeah hanging like I literally I couldn't even like stand up in the shower I felt that rough yeah I sat in the bath like trying to wash the shame and the guilt and all that kind of stuff off of me (laughs) try and smell at least decent I've got really really good at putting a face on so I was really good at like covering a hangover because I've been doing it for so long so that wasn't an issue so like I then went into the office I got everybody bacon sandwiches because that was like the thing on a Friday with a hangover. And then I actually said to the guys in the office, I can't remember, which again, like what kind of boss thinks that's okay. But this is the thing, like that was the kind of boss that I'd had for so many years in agency world, in brewery days, you know? So like, I was like, then this is something that really needs to change. And we can talk about that in a bit, but like, People really need to be mindful about what they're saying to people and what kind of culture they're creating. And I was creating a, like that without meaning to because the other parts of what I was doing were lovely and positive and 
you know, I was the person that people could come to and that mentor and, but that bit was not right. Yeah, and yeah. so I, um, I then actually went through the receipts in my handbag in a attempt to try and work out Piece what I'd together, done for the rest yeah. of the evening. Yeah. And I'd been to a, a, like a bar called the blind pig, which is ironic, you know, and like I'd had cocktails in the blind pig. I'd then got the bus home. How the hell I got off at the right stop. So then I was like, right, okay. I then had happy hour at the end of the day because that's what we did. Yeah. So I had my, obviously my one drink that I could have and then get back in my car again. Kind of thing. Went home and I was sat in my parking space. So I live in an apartment outside my apartment and my ne- we're really close with our neighbors, like so close. And I, you know, I'm embarrassed to admit this, that one of my neighbors has had to like clear, clear the sick from outside the driveway before, you know, that I've completely forgotten that I've done red wine as well. <laughs> lovely. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, oh, that's, lo- that's a lovely mean. neighborly, that's a lovely neighborly thing to do, isn't it? Uh, yeah. And this is, this is the thing now, like three and a half years later, and we'll talk about this in a bit, but like, it's so nice to actually just do nice things for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> But like, I'd be mindful about that rather than leaving people these lovely gifts. Um, So I got home. I was parked in the driveway. I was trying to work out what I was going to say to Steve when I came home. And he, uh, my next door neighbor, like knocked on my window and I like rolled it down like, oh, God, what's coming next? How old's your car then if you wound it down? down? (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Do you know what? I think it was still that old. It's not that same car anymore. Oh, go on. Upgraded I need teasing. Yeah. Now I can press a button. You got more money than drink now, one. see? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, I sorry. He tapped on the window. <laughs> and I was like, I looked at him like, oh God, what's coming? And he literally was just like, like he thought I was so funny because I'd knocked on their door yeah. the night before. Yeah. And um, I didn't remember that at all. And I just was like, God, this is mortifying. What is he going to say? And he said that I was going to take the dogs for a walk. And this would have been at like, what, quarter to 11 o'clock or something, let's say. I don't know what time. Maybe later. I really have no idea. So, and he was just like, yeah, you were going to take the dog for a walk. You were having a chat with us. You were really funny. And I thought, I do not remember that. And he looked at me like kind of really confused because he thought I was just a bit drunk. He didn't know that I was blackout to the point of not actually even knowing that I'd been there. Yeah. And that for me was really scary because I thought if I'd knocked, if I wasn't in Jersey, and you know, I didn't live in Jersey for a long time. And when I think of all of the dangerous situations I put myself in living in London, falling asleep on the tube till the last stop and then being woken up by somebody and then your music going, <laughs> <laughs> you know all of that kind of stuff where you go oh god now I've got to get on the night bus and I'm hammered oh, and you know yes. all yeah. of those things like that I've done over my time you know like and it would take us like 20 podcasts to go through all that stuff but like I just kind of thought I'm done like this is so uncool and I'm bored of my own bullshit and like the amount of times I'd sent messages to people saying that I was never ever going to drink again and they'd come back to me to say like yeah whatever and then I'd be drinking that evening yeah care of the dog yeah and I just thought I'm really really bored of doing this over and over and over again and so I went at home my husband was like you were a nightmare 
you were half naked by the time you got up the stairs, basically. And you were like telling me that you're going to take the dogs for a walk. And I was saying, no, you're not. And you were like, yeah, I am. Do you think you got half naked um, at your neighbor's house or was that? No, I don't think so. I think that was just me like on the way up. Maybe that's why he was, he enjoyed my visit so much. I don't know. But like, it was, it was just like, he was just like, what the hell? Like, he was done with it, it as well, yeah. He was absolutely over it. Like, it yeah. wasn't funny anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It was worrying. And there'd just been a couple of times when I'd gone out and, like, had weird turns. And, like, I was just weird. And, you know, when you're just like, what are you doing? Like, I wasn't yeah. really fully aware of what was going on. And he was a bit like, mate, this isn't yeah. cool. Like, so that weekend, in All or Nothing, Again, kind of headspace. Yeah. <laughs> I was like really sober curious, and I started looking up everything that I could find. Obsessing, variety, <laughs> obsessive. And I started looking up podcasts, which there weren't actually that many at that point. There was one called, I think, Sober Curious. All that, those kind of things. I looked up all that stuff. Um, I started looking up sober celebrities, and I could not believe. I was one of them. Thank you, darling. Oh, no, this is before you were a sober celebrity, (laughs) Steve. But now, now if I was looking up sober celebrities, then you would be there forefront. A-list. Of course you would. Darling, you're up there, you're up there. I'd be be in the Z-list. You'd be in the A-list, my love. But I was looking up sober celebrities and, oh, my God, I could not believe the people who were there. Like, uh, Blake Lively. M&M. I, was like, I thought she would be somebody who I know, but I'm talking about some of the ones for me. Oh, well, some of the ones that I looked age, at. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? The ones that I looked at, and I was like, I thought they were the ones who were swinging from the chandeliers, yeah, yeah. necking bottles of champagne. And I looked at them, and they all had different reasons. There was like, um, who was else? Uh, Natalie Portman, gorgeous, got a massive girl crush on her. Closer, oh my god, Bradley Cooper. He was like, so on my Hindu, he was stuck on the wall and we were doing all sorts of stuff to him. So I was looking at these celebs and I was like, okay, if they can do it. And some of them identified with having a drinking problem. And some of them actually were like, I don't have time mm. to be hungover. Or actually, I, I want to look really good. Yeah. And drinking is not conducive to that. And yeah. I was looking at them and I was thinking, maybe I could do this. So that was like the start of it. And then in that all or nothing nature, and then started like Googling more and more and more stuff around alcohol free. And I came across one, you know, beer. And then their ads started stalking me around the internet. And I'm a marketeer, so I understand remarketing, but it still was like, this is a sign. (laughs) I need to give up. It keeps coming up on my page. So I then decided to do one year of no drinking, but to do it as a charity challenge because I know in myself that I self-sabotage. I was already aware of that at this point. And I know also that I love helping other people and that I will not let other people down. Like I will break my back to help other people, even if it means sacrificing myself kind of thing. Mm. And I knew that about myself. Like I was always there for everyone else. I wasn't great at being there for myself. So I thought, how can I help myself through knowing this about myself? So I basically then 
committed to a year starting in the January. So this was in November. And I set up a website, which now is my website, soberjo.com. And it had all my blogs that I was doing on it. And I basically told anyone who would listen that I was doing this thing. I went into the office on the Monday and I was like, I'm going to set up a website and I'm going to start raising money for charity. I've chosen a charity, Friends of Jersey Oncology. And they're a charity who is really close to my heart that I'm not going to let down because they've helped a few of my friends through cancer. And I was like, I'm going to do a year long challenge. And literally the guys in my office were like, laughing. they thought it was hilarious. And they were like, we'll believe it when, when we, we see, see it. it yeah because they'd seen so many times failed dry january yeah. like literally i probably lasted two weeks max and that was me really like like self celebrating like your legend you got through that amount of time kind of thing yeah yeah like you've proved that you don't have a problem because you're able to do that long in January whenever yeah. nobody else is as well. Like, I, I, it's ridiculous. Anyway, so they were like, we'll believe it when we see it. So I set it all up. I went along to the charity. I told them what I was doing. I went along to one of their fundraising events and listened to what the money would go towards and stuff, which then made me really connected to the charity. And I started going around the pubs December time with an alcoholic drink in my hand and obviously before getting too drunk telling everybody that I was doing this thing and people were putting down donations and they were like I will believe it when I see it some people laughed in my face and said there's no way you'll get past a couple of weeks so I was just going around collecting some people were putting down 500 pound donations so I raised over 15 thousand pounds for this charity in a year because some people put some very generous amounts including my parents because they yeah I don't think they thought I would be able to do it and my mum actually did the year with me too that's fantastic and she isn't somebody who identifies as having a problem with alcohol Mm. her dad's an alcoholic and her best friend died from um alcohol abuse Mm. and uh my mom and I don't want to tell her story obviously but she is somebody who uses it for self-confidence so it was a real struggle for her Mm. to do that year Mm. she I don't think she thought I would last very long so she said I'll do it as long as you do it and then I did a year so she she did a year but that's amazing yeah I can't believe she's she's still doing it I need a drink yeah (laughs) so she was amazing she did it um which I will be eternally grateful for it was one of the biggest gestures of love I think I could have ever had actually um and so throughout that year wow I learned so much about myself and there were so many moments throughout that year where I would have given up if I had been just doing a month off uh, six months off a year off whatever I just would have kept giving up but because I'd committed to the charity and I could see the money coming in yeah and I was doing this online journal for people that held me accountable yeah and I told people about the good times I told people about the bad times and then I was getting loads of like support from people 
who were saying, oh my God, I, I think I might need to look at yeah. my relationship because if you can do it, I can do it. Then maybe I can do it a little bit like me with a celebrity kind of thing, you know, yeah. like it was yeah. somebody that I looked at who I never would have thought would be able to do that. And they, yeah. they had the same with me. And at the beginning I was really sick. Like I didn't leave my room pretty much for a month like I was sick with it and withdrawals um, do you mean I think a little bit and I also was ill so I had a really bad cold like I couldn't even drink coffee I was so run down I felt terrible it might have been like the whole like getting to that point kind of thing yeah um and then I was like month two I thought well I better leave my room otherwise this blog isn't going to be very interesting and I might not raise very much money for charity so that pushed me to go out and start doing stuff but like I I remember going to like a club night and Steve my other half is a DJ he's an air conditioning refrigeration person too yeah by night DJ at night and um I remember going to that and like in the past I would have like been drinking before I'd even got to the party like because that would have got me in the mood and all of a sudden I was like vulnerable I was me and I was sensitive and uh to everything the noise the people Mm. the energy like Mm. people were coming over to me and they were like "Ah!" and I was like oh (laughs) and it made me realize how much I'm like that yeah and I can still be like that a little bit even sober now because that's kind of you know me to a point it's not always me and that's taken a bit of time to accept as well uh, I don't always have to be on. I don't have to always be in that mode. Um, but these people were like in that drunk rah. Yeah. And they were coming towards me. And I was like, oh my goodness. I was trying to protect my space. I was trying to protect my energy. And it made me realize how some of the people in the past who are more sensitive or who are people who don't drink might feel when I was coming at them. And why they might have found me too much as well. And it was really hard, actually, to adjust. I had a room, so I was able to, like, take myself away from the party because it was in a hotel. So I did that quite a lot. Uh, But I really felt like I didn't fit anymore. And I I really felt that loss of identity. And that was really hard. And I felt like the people around me were grieving the loss of me too. And I didn't know who to be yeah. at that point well you've played a role haven't you with your drinking I, you know it's like an actor that goes on stage performs mm. and then goes turns goes back off stage and I was like that for 40 years so when I mm. hung my acting coat up I was like I don't know who I am myself so I don't know how to act and, mm. it, and it took me a long time to just be me and be happy yeah. with being me yeah and if people didn't like that, then tough, because this is me yeah. in my own skin. And that's what this a lot of people me. struggle with. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Themselves. 100%. And also that, like, small talk thing. Mm. Like, I really struggled with that. Like, and because I have this brain that kind of goes, blah, 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 like, ahead of myself, I sometimes brain fart halfway through a conversation and I don't even know where I'm at or like, I'm like, who am I? Where am I? What am I talking about? Um, and somebody will like say, oh, you've just been on holiday. Where'd you go? And I'm like, 
<laughs> like I just don't even know, you know, because my brain doesn't work in that way. And then I, I then feel really embarrassed and then then think, oh God, they're gonna think I'm really stupid or judge myself. And now I don't feel like that. But like then I really, really, really did. And so there'd be all these small talk chats going on and I would find it excruciatingly painful. And all I wanted to do was have a chat with somebody who was on my wavelength yeah that really deep and meaningful that's interesting you say on your wavelength because after two or three drinks and not and when we were drinking we would be ahead of their wavelength because we would uh be going crazy from the beginning and this is why i think we if we go to an event where there are people drinking we do the old french exit because oh 100 i have to be really careful like I, I i wait for that moment where i'm like i'm done now yeah i call it the back door boogie and i just oh, whoop, out the side boogie out the side <laughs> but like i i think that a lot of people who are like i say sensitive they're connected and they haven't quite allowed that connection to quite happen with themselves and the universe and the others around them and stuff like that I think that they drink to tolerate the small talk and to fit in and to mm. be a different version of themselves in order to fit in a bit more with others. Yeah. But then they don't know where to stop. So then it goes yeah. further than everybody else. Um, you know, the beginning bit kind of feels like you are on yeah. the same wavelength as yeah. others and you feel comfortable for a bit. And then it then gets past that. And then that's when, you know, you're still going like, I don't know, the next day and everybody else has gone. The party was over ages ago. Like, did you not get the memo? Um, and so that that was difficult. And then in my month three, I went on a Hindu to Croatia. And I was with all my Ladek girlfriends and they were all proper like, drink, 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 drink. And I was like, I'm having a proper identity crisis now. And there's bits of this trip that's lovely. You know, we're on a boat and... Oh, you're trapped you know, as I'm well, aren't you? Trapped. I couldn't you get in my car. can't do the backdoor this boogie on there. Not so, easy, not so easily. And, like, I, I had got so used to making sure my car was closed and making sure I could just get home. And, obviously, in Jersey, I am blessed because it's nine by five miles. So everywhere is, like, close to home. So it doesn't take me long and it is a safe place. So like me just park my car and just going out to my car isn't an issue. But all of a sudden I'm somewhere different and I don't know where anything is. Also, I have absolutely zero sense of direction. Oh, my God. Oh, <laughs> you and me are just literally. Up. When you come to Jersey, seriously, you will crack up. I have no idea where anything is even in Jersey. I get lost all the time um, and it actually really really stresses me out it's like one of the things that I would say out of my kind of neurodiversity that is a real disability that really holds me back because mm. I I really stress out about it but anyway so I I was a bit like oh god and I I don't know what anything is and then I'm going to be on my own so I packed a load of face masks like you know to have something to do if I wanted to leave and you know then end up looking even more sober glow the next morning but I did have to kind of find somebody who I thought I reckon you're going to want to like exit a bit early too and then kind of make sure that that person understood that if they wanted to go that I was good to go because I just remember going into this bar and in the past 
I would have been at the front leading people into this bar because it was free shots. Yeah, yeah. Got in this place. It was dreadful. Like, literally stick to the floor. The music was awful. And as somebody who's married to a DJ, like, I'm really into my music. And I was like, this is shocking. Like, guys, how are we in here? But they didn't care because they were drinking. Yeah. They were having a great time. There is a photo of us all and I'm still wearing my coat <laughs> because I literally was like I just no I need I to do the back door do this. Within 10 I need minutes. to get out as soon as possible yeah. um and I was just thinking there's a nice place down the road why couldn't we just get there and yeah, we can chat but, about life and have some deep yeah. meaningful conversation no <laughs> They no. wanted to listen to flipping Shawadi Wadi or something. You know, I mean, it wasn't even that. It was just terrible. But I love these people. They had great time, you know. Like, I'm not taking away. There's absolutely zero judgment, by the way, in terms of the choice of night. It's just the fact that I wasn't actually comfortable enough in my own skin mm. to be able to let go in that situation. Now I probably would be able to let go for a long enough time to be yeah. silly and like but at that point I was not there yet no um but then the same person's wedding which was three months later than the Hindu, I went to it it was in the Cotswolds it was absolutely beautiful it was a festival wedding and Steve and I are partial to a festival wedding because our wedding mm. is a festival wedding and I wish that I could go back and do that sober now but anyway that's another story and we, I was at this wedding and I was dancing. I was having so much fun. I mean, I literally was one of the last people standing. Like it was a completely different experience. And it was with all the same people, but the music was amazing. Everybody was dressed in colorful clothes. Like there were so many bits that had had so much love and effort put behind planning it. Mm. But I just felt so good soaking it all up and like remembering it and creating memories around the whole thing. And somebody actually tried to give me a drink and they didn't know me and they weren't trying to get me to like fail at my challenge, but they tried to offer me a drink because they could see me dancing and they were like, oh, I'm getting a drink. Would you like a gin tonic? And I basically was like, I'm sober. Hey. And instead of being like, doing a challenge and, you know, I'm doing it for a year and, you know, I'm not sure what I'm going to be doing after do you want to do you want to sponsor me you know and really really like hiding behind that and using that as my reason I had shifted I came out loud and proud yeah person literally was like oh I thought you were drunk yeah your your dancing makes you look like you're (laughs) drunk (laughs) and I literally like went I'm drunk on life and I truly meant it and I felt so good and in that moment I knew that, was that it. this was it. Like yeah. this is a lifestyle choice. Yeah. It doesn't matter about the charity chari- challenge anymore. I'm going to continue raising money yeah. and raising awareness, but it's not about that anymore. That's a bonus. I, I like handing that. that massive check. Yeah. You know, yeah. Was yeah. was yours around that kind of similar time for you? Or no, mine's a different story. But I relate to the coming out. Okay, the coming out moment. Yeah, yeah. I that came kind of out like, oh. and I was like, hi. You know, I came out and I was proud. Um, yes, so, you came out of the wine cupboard. Yeah, so <laughs> so how far into your sobriety now are you? So I'm now over three and a half years. So obviously I stopped drinking January 2019. Yeah, what, what was the date? 
the first of January. Oi, so you're seven days ahead. I was the seventh. So we're exactly. very, very so we're similar. so close. And we've got so yeah. much in common with our sobriety as well. So much. Because um, much. what has happened to you since you've given up drinking, since you came out of the closet? Some amazing yeah. things, right? Yeah. I mean, when I, once I'd made that choice, at the end of that year, being able to tell people that I wasn't going to celebrate with a glass of like champagne because mm. it was at a New Year's Eve party, obviously, you know, that was my last day. Yeah. Yeah. Being able to say, do you know what? No, this is it now. Like, mm. and some people were saying, "You're not going to celebrate with it," and I was like, "You don't get it. That's not celebration anymore." I'm celebrating. You know, if I'm having out. a lovely time, then you yeah. know that's the point kind of thing. Um. So after that, I had a lot of people reach out to me, and people asking me to go for beach walks, which is a lovely thing to have on your doorstep in Jersey. Um, strangers that I didn't know reaching out and just saying. You know, I've looked at your journey, I've followed your blog, and I really want to know a little bit more, and I'm inspired. So I was meeting up with all these people, and I loved it so much. But one of the things I really struggled with was that I was kind of then taking on what they'd said to me, and I felt a sense of responsibility for these people that were coming to me. And I was like, well, I loved this bit. And I'm really good at this bit. And like people come to me. I'm that person at the party, whether I was drunk or sober, that people would come to and they would open up and they would tell me everything. And then they would go, oh, God, I've never told anybody that. Yeah. Oh, I don't know where that's come from kind of thing. Oh, you know, oh, I feel lighter. Yeah. I feel so much better after I've just spoken to you kind of thing. Uh, so I knew I had that in me. And I've known that for a very, very long time. And I guess I used to use that as a bit of a thing with my marketing yeah. because people would, do you know what I mean? Like it works in the same way. And I guess that's why I was a good person from that perspective as a marketeer. But I got to this point where I was like, I really, really want to make a difference. Yeah. I, I, could, I feel like I can make mm. a difference. And as much as I'm established in what I do as a marketeer in Jersey, like, actually I feel like there's more I feel like there's something else I need to do a calling. and one of my friends a calling it was it was that sense of purpose yeah and one of my friends actually the friend that I handed the giant check over to at the end of my year ironically got in touch with me and she wanted to become a coach to help people who are cancer survivors and she wanted to learn to be able to support them. And she got in touch with me and said, Joe, I can see the journey that you've been on. And I really think that if you were, le- were to learn to become a coach, you could really, really help others on mm. their journey. Mm. And it made me think, and I thought, oh God, I've never really invested in my own self-development before. Yeah, I've never done anything. Like maybe because I didn't feel worthy, maybe yeah. because I didn't, like, yes, I was somebody who worked really hard and I worked my way up the ranks. For others, you know, you don't, really. For, for others, for others, always yeah. for others. But I'd never done that for myself. And so she said, why don't you do it with me? Let's do it together. And it was a year-long certification. And wow, I learned so much about myself, Dave, that it was worth it just from that perspective. Yeah, yeah. And then to then be able to help people and to be able to actually give stuff back to them so that, that you're then not 
holding on to everything because mm. you know I spoke to a healer once who said that he would be dead in a week if he held on to, to all of the stuff that he helps others with mm. you know and he was like Joe you need to be able to give it back yeah. and that is a skill and it's something that you actually have to learn and I really really think that no matter what you do learning coaching skills is a you whether you're a parent whether you're yeah. you know somebody who's in business like learning to, if you're somebody who's you know managing other people mentoring other people it's such an incredible skill to be able to have as you well know because we have been on similar journeys in that respect yeah and off the back of it I was like I'm gonna create what I couldn't find for myself you know when I first stopped drinking and I decided to do that whole charity challenge. I was like, I want to create something that's bright and got the energy behind it that I personally need. You know, it's got that positivity. It's got all the stuff around mindset. It's got, because I'm a very spiritual person, which I've connected with more so on my sober journey, but it's got that the visualizations. It's got the meditations. It's got the oracle cards yeah. you know I've spoken to you about those and yeah. I use that a lot in my coaching actually yeah. and sometimes it perfectly sums up a session with somebody in a, the most eloquent way in a way that I never could probably say myself you know yeah. and um and clients will sometimes reach out to me because you know I'm their accountability partner if I'm in a partnership with them and they will ask me to draw a card and I make sure that they understand that if they send me a message, I don't like walk around Morrison's or whatever, like with my card deck and start putting them out on the meat and fish counter and start pulling a card for them like in that moment. So they understand that like it will happen within the 24 hours kind of thing. And the fact that they've asked me means that I'm able to kind of connect with them and gift them that. And it might be for their own journaling, you know, purposes and, and journaling. So I've created the most beautiful journal if I do say so for my, myself you know and it's something that people can use online or they can print off and it's it's something that I want to use you know and it's for the 12 weeks that I work with most of the people that I work with it follows a program that I've created which has come from working with lots of mainly women mm. like it's mainly women that I've worked with who are a similar kind of energy as I am yeah and they're professional women generally mix of age range ranges um but they're looking for this kind of thing and it yeah. feels so good to be able to give them that and for them to then be part of something and um you know I have a Facebook group that then the people that I work with go into that and that's like a little sober journey club that they're all like similar like-minded people and one of my clients Dave just got married this weekend she did my 12-week program. She did her Hindu sober. She's just done her wedding sober. Wow. And the pride, I feel, she's just about to go on her honeymoon. Like, it blows my mind. But people around them as well, doesn't it? It changes their life, but people around them, you know, it, it's amazing. And it's so amazing. And this is the thing. It's about finding, because there are lots of coaches out there now. Like, yeah. actually, if somebody is listening to this and they are thinking, they're curious in the way that I was, you were, yeah. before yeah. we stopped, the beauty is there is actually lots of people out there now. And yeah. it's about finding somebody 
who you have that connection with, who you yeah, feel. Absolutely. And and that's the thing, like, you know, sometimes people can go, oh, there's too many coaches. Uh, there isn't because there's only one you, Dave. You know, there's only one me and we are very different. As much as yeah. we have similarities, we're different in the way that we are. And that's the beauty about it is that yeah. you find somebody who you resonate with, who you yeah. feel do you know what? Like, there's a bit of me a in connection. that. And I, there's a connection, yeah. and it's really important. I, I talk about my therapist online, and I've had him for seven years now. And mm. I could go into a session, really lie, really down, confused, and whatever. And I leave that session 15 minutes later, feeling totally different. Yeah. Or if I don't feel totally different after 15 minutes, the next day I might start shift. You know, he might have planted a seed in my mind that will I will resonate with and think about, and then it will grow throughout the, the week until my next session. So I totally agree with you there. And um, it's powerful I, stuff. I think the way you've turned your life around is fantastic. And I've met you before, and you don't need a bloody drink. And, and people have said that <laughs> to you a million times. But you don't. You're you're so infectious for your character and your personality and you're always smiling. And I think you've got the real zest for life. And uh, I love the fact that we've got so much in common, but also we're so similar in the sobriety. And also, can you believe it's four years in January? Because I can't. No. Where the hell has that gone? Like, I mean, time is just flying by. I know. But that's the thing. It's funny that you said that, like, you know, you don't need a drink. A lot of the people that I connect with in this space, when you connect with them, it's like connecting with like a, a kid, if you know what I mean, because they've got that childlike yeah. energy and curiosity and they're not afraid to be themselves. They're not afraid to be a bit silly. Yeah. And like they are someone who just doesn't need a drink. If you added a drink into the mix, most people are trying to get to this after a few drinks. Do you know what I mean? That's the thing. Yeah, like, but do you know what, though, Joe? I, I had a conversation earlier about this, that um, when I stopped drinking, I went back to being the 14-year-old child mm. that started drinking because I blunted out so much in those 40 years that there was the vulnerability of a 14-year-old mm-hmm. standing there at mm-hmm. 54, you know? Yeah. And, and so what I've that done... completely. Yeah. What I've done is learn to appreciate myself, like myself, love myself, accept yeah. myself for the person I am, walks and all. Oh, but we're, we're quietly confident, you know, and that's how I feel now. I don't feel arrogant. I don't feel mouthy. No. I'm just – because I I appreciate who I am now, and that's taken all these years of what has happened to me, what I've done, how I shape my life to be the person I am now. So when people say to me, Oh, do you regret those days? Actually, no, because I'm quite content in how I am now. 100%. I do not regret anything that has Mm. ever happened to me. Those darkest times have made me who I am. Like in those days where I felt buried alive, and I really, really did, you know, there were times that were so dark where I could have ended everything. You know, that's the reality. Um, And I still can sometimes go to those places in a, in certain cycles yeah I'm I, I I know that I'm an up and down person yeah I know that I'm light and I'm dark you know and in order to be the light I have to have the dark inside yeah. of me and when I go to those dark places now 
I don't feel buried. I feel planted. Yeah. That's the difference in mindset. I yeah. know I'm going to come back out the other side. Yeah. I know that I'm going to have learned something. I know that there's going to be growth that's going to come from it. Mm. And that is so empowering. And that is the difference. Like I actually went out with one of the brewery guys that I used to work with when I'm so bad. And he was going, I, you're going to be a bit boring now though, aren't you? Like you'll be a bit boring. We used to have so much fun. And I went over to Guernsey and I went on a night out with him. And the, there was another person actually who came on the night out with us too. And they didn't really drink either. So he was the only one that was drinking. And he is such a nice guy. You know, he's great fun. But it really highlighted how much he was drinking because actually the yeah. other person didn't feel. This other person would have felt booze bullied if I hadn't have been there. So yeah. I gave that person the window to not mm. and they had a lovely evening and I was that mad as a box of frogs and he was like <laughs> bloody hell you don't need a drink do you we're like yeah, oh well, God, what are you taking now well exactly. life how about that one life yeah exactly and that's yeah. the thing it's about knowing that you know being sober you feel everything yeah and that's good and it's, and it's bad. bad. You're an HSP, right, like me, highly sensitive person. So yeah. I really relate to your up and downs because I can yeah. go to bed feeling absolutely great and wake up feeling really down there somewhere and not yeah. even know why, you know? Yeah. And it takes me all day to try and shift my way out. And some days I can't. And I go to bed, get up next morning, I'm, I'm up there. It's, it's hard to find a balance some days. Do you know what I mean? Where you yeah. tick along. But that might time with you being a high achiever and all or nothing person. And a lot of us exactly. drinkers are all or nothing people, you know. So it, it's, there may never be a balance, but when you don't drink, there's a much bigger chance of being on a, a level kill because we're not. It's being aware. aware it's awareness. Yeah. As yeah. soon as we have this awareness, like I'm able to check in with myself now. And yeah. that's where that whole journaling piece comes in and that yeah. mindfulness piece and going, how do I feel right now? Okay. So, you know, the mojo scale that we mentioned at the beginning, you know, zero, dead. Hopefully nobody's there. Yeah. 10, best day ever. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. okay. So if I'm waking up at about a five. Yeah. Or what can I do to just shift that up a, a level? I don't need to shift it up to, to 10, like yeah. straight away. Like, you know, I don't need to put that kind of pressure on myself. Like, you know, some people who look at me might think that I'm a 10 as soon as I wake up in the morning because sometimes I turn up and mm. I've got that energy. And got, beans, but yeah. no, I'm not always, you know, like yeah. actually it takes a lot for me. I'm not naturally that positive ray of sunshine person I have to work on it all the yeah. time I am somebody who has that like I said that darkness inside so I have to go okay well, what what do I what can I do to shift that okay do you know what I could do I could sit on my I've got one of those spiky mats oh yeah I, I'll sit on my spiky mat for a bit well not sit on it I'll lie on it <laughs> or I'll stand on it for a bit oh yeah that helps to bring yeah. up a bit or I'll um I'll say some I am affirmations. Yeah. And for me, that might be, I am confident. I am worthy. I'm beautiful. I say basically the opposites of how I'm feeling in that moment kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I am filled with energy, all that stuff, 
okay, right, what else can I do? Well, do you know what? I could put my favourite Whitney Houston song, Dance With... Do you know what I mean? Like, and I'm going to dance around the kitchen because I know movement is not something that I do. And music, it's a high, isn't it? Music. Music, that's why I say get a playlist on your phone. Exactly. And, you know, going back again to the whole ADHD thing, what am I looking for? Dopamine. So it's about creating those natural highs as much as possible and being aware of that. So we can have to start wrapping this up. I could talk to you forever, Joe, but you, <laughs> you started too. this on an eight and a half or a nine on the mojo scale. Where are you now? Yeah. I'm at a good nine and a half. I mean, I'm never going to say 10 days. Oh, nine and a half is good enough for me. You know, 10 is, can I tell you, if we were doing this podcast yeah. on a roller coaster. Yeah, with the neighbour. <laughs> on a, on a roller coaster, yeah. I would I would say that that would give me so much of a rush yeah. that I would give you a ten. Like right. seriously, I would get off of that roller coaster, yeah, and I would be buzzing my tits off, kind of thing. Right. You know, like seriously. Or if we were to dance at a festival, and like I could feel that natural, like. Mm. And we were doing a podcast, having a good boogie. I reckon we could get to a 10, but I reckon a nine and a half. That's good. I'm having it. It's a pretty good place. I'm having it. And I might, I might um, wind this down with a Whitney Houston song and put on the glitter balls. Yeah. (laughs) It's been absolutely (laughs) amazing, darling. Uh, Thank you so much. You're going to be an inspiration. So many listening to this and uh, I'm really, really grateful that you joined me today and it's so lovely seeing you. And uh, hopefully I'll either come out to Jersey by the nine by five and we can get lost somewhere or I'll see you over in the UK somewhere. Love you, Dave. Thank you so much. And you, darling. Thank you so much for joining me. Take care. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of One for the Road. Please remember to subscribe and leave a review. You can now download my app, Sober Dave, on the Apple and Google Play Store. And on there, you will find lots of tutorials, tips, and support.